0: This episode contains descriptions of domestic violence and drug use and may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised.
1: I grabbed her hand and I smacked it. And she, you know, like, just started bawling and crying and wailing. And she went and ran to my stepdad. And I was like, oh, no, I am about to die. And so I just cower in my room and my stepdad comes in there like a raging bull. Hey, I'm Heather Loggi from Littleton, Colorado, and I'm an events and development specialist at a local nonprofit. I went through a dark season last winter where I became hooked on true crime dramas, and while entertaining, they left me feeling depressed and hopeless. I was actually looking for my next crime drama podcast, when by God's grace, I stumbled upon Compelled. Listening to the testimonies of brothers and sisters in Christ told in such a dynamic way was both convicting, encouraging, and dare I say, entertaining. Hearing how God shows up powerfully in the lives of people who struggle, just like me, changed my own walk with God for good. I hope you enjoy today's episode. I know I will.
0: I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to the Season 7 premiere of Compelled, where every two weeks we use gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Today, our guest is Hayden Jernigan, who grew up in a home marked by chaos. Unsure of who loved him or who wanted him, Hayden pursued everything he thought would bring him happiness, including money, women, and drugs, yet he was unaware that actually his entire life there was someone who was pursuing him. So gather around, lean in and join us for another compelling story from the Kingdom of God. Three weeks ago, my buddy Gabriel and I took a whirlwind trip to New Orleans to record some podcast interviews, At a local church put us in touch with Hayden. And as soon as he arrived in the studio, we sat him down and began telling us a story from the late 90s, where he grew up on the east side of Memphis, Tennessee. Grew up
1: running around, you know, pretty much a normal childhood in terms of playing with kids in the street and riding bikes and scraping up your knees and shooting basketball and hide and seek and things like that, you know, busting your toes, cutting your hands, all those different things. And this is actually one of my earliest memories. Um, Me and my mom went to a grocery store. We're walking to the grocery store and, you know, the pack of roll-up gum, like the three foot long roll-up gum. I saw that. I just took it. I thought that's what a grocery store was like you just go and you take what you need and i was like this is great and we get back in the car and i'm back there chewing my newfound gum and my mom looks over and she goes where did you get that i go well i, I got it from the store and she goes you have to pay for that I'm like well i don't have any money <laughs> and she's like that's called stealing and she was really nice about it and she kind of laughed it off a little bit. But I was like, well, what? and so innocent, right? I was like, well, what's wrong with stealing? She said, well, it's bad. It's bad to steal because people have worked for that. And I was like, well, what what does it mean to be bad? And she was like, well, if you're bad all the time, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. I'm like, well, like what? <laughs> you're like, what, what are you getting at? And she told me that bad people go to hell. I remember that i remember her telling me that bad people go to hell and i was like well what what is that like what do you wait a second and she gives me this cardboard bible story book it's just about the flood right knowing the ark and i read it and i remember i'm still like wait a second like bad people go to hell i don't understand and what i learned in that moment was good people go to heaven and get to be happy forever and bad people go to hell and they're sad forever. That was kind of what I walked away with from that experience. But I had this huge existential crisis at six years old about what is good and what is bad, because I just had never thought about it before.
0: Did you have any perception at all of a God or... I
1: don't think I did. I think... I heard about the story of Noah and the Ark. The thing that stuck out to me was the rainbow, and I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. This is saying that God made the rainbow, and I've seen a rainbow before, and that must be real. I remember distinctly thinking that, but
0: never anything
1: much more than that at the time.
0: Although he didn't realize it at the time, Hayden's life was far from normal. His parents had actually gotten divorced while his mom was still pregnant with him, and she remarried while he was still a toddler. They lived in a rough part of Memphis, and their house was always covered in filth. But of course, since he didn't grew up in this environment, he thought it was just normal life.
1: Both of my, my stepdad and my mother, whom I lived with, were often on jobs, very dysfunctional lifestyles, was not bringing in a lot of income. At the time, it was just me and my older sister. And in the midst of all this, a custody battle broke out between my mother and my grandmother for me and that was totally unexpected. It didn't make any sense to me. I had no idea what was going on, but I remember one day I was in the bathtub, you know, playing with my ship and, you know, my bubbles, <laughs> and my grandmother out of nowhere busted in the bathroom door and she was like, "Come on, get your towel, we're leaving." And I was I was at first I was like, "Grammy, it's so good to see you." And I could see on her face like, "Oh, this isn't good. Something's wrong." And so I wrapped up in a towel and she grabbed me by my arm and drugged me outside. I'm soaking wet, holding on to this towel. There's police out there, my siblings, my two sisters are in with my mom's mom, so my other grandmother. They're in the vehicle with her and they're crying. My mom's arguing with police officers and my grandmother's towing me to her car. And. When we walked past the police, my mom saw me and she freaked and she grabbed my arm and my grandmother and my mom are tugging me back and forth. And I I remember my mom's words. She said, you are not taking away my baby. And she jerked me. And when she did, because I was wet, her hand slipped and she like cut my arm open right here. And I still have the scar. And I started gushing blood and I'm crying. I have no idea what's going on. The police officers grab my mom, my grandmother pulls me in the car, and we're headed to her house, which is like a 10-minute drive, 15-minute drive. And so I went from five minutes ago, I was sitting in the bathtub playing with my boat and my bubbles, to I'm now bawling my eyes out in the car, soaking wet, wrapped in a towel, bleeding all over the place. Looking back, I had no idea how dysfunctional the home was. Now it all makes sense, right, of... Well, they were trying to get me out of this disgusting, trash-infested, not being taken care of very well house. I mean, my mom just never cleaned. She had a she had a really hard time maintaining the home and my stepfather had a really hard time supporting her. And so we kind of just lived in filth. But that was my normal. I didn't know any different. We would have neighbors come over and who would call DHS and report my mother multiple times and investigators would come and she would spend all day cleaning the house because they have to give you a warning and a notice before they come. And It was just this perpetual cycle of dysfunction. This custody battle ended up going to court. I remember walking up to the courthouse and just the massive stairway and the big pillars in the front of the courthouse and just had to sit in the hallway while my mother and my grandmother and the judge and all these different people disputed everything. You know, that was a traumatic experience for me. Uh, I didn't really have the faculties to process that event and to understand what was going on. And so I think I just really dissociated from a lot of that, a lot of that emotional pain and confusion um, and just kind of went into myself.
0: While the court system worked its way through Hayden's custody case, he bounced around between his grandma's home and his mom's home, staying at either one intermittently. Three years passed until finally his mom and stepdad were able to move to a different home and both landed jobs, and the court finally agreed to let Hayden move back in with his mom and stepdad full-time. But it became obvious right away that their life was still dysfunctional.
1: During this time that I'm living with my mom, she pulled me out of school to help raise my siblings. i spent my days waking up early in the morning, changing diapers, cleaning sheets, making breakfast. Parents wouldn't get out of bed until noon most of the time or later. Sometimes they would leave for days at a time and I would have to cook dinner, cook lunch, change diapers, put the kids to bed, make bottles, all those things.
0: And how old were you at that point?
1: 10, 11 years old.
0: And was your stepdad still living with you guys?
1: He was still living there. He started to become very bitter and very mean. I think he always was at the time, but a lot of that aggression was pointed towards me. I felt like an outsider me and my older sister were the only one of the children who weren't his and so it was very evident in the home that that was the case constantly being grounded for like months at a time for very trivial things and becoming very isolated very depressed and i remember i would get these horrible stomach cramps as a kid um, where i would just like double over and just have to wait for them to pass for several minutes at a time and sometimes like most of the day looking back I was anxious. (laughs) My body was just experiencing all this stress and I started to have these stomach cramps. I was just a really anxious young kid. My stepdad continued to get more aggressive verbally, more emotionally kind of abusive. I remember there were times he would almost in a jovial sense like, Hey, come here. I want to show you something. And he was a, he was a black belt in karate and he would be like, I want to show you this cool karate trick. And the next thing I know, I'm like almost blacked out on the ground from, you know, this karate move. Yeah, that was, that was pretty terrible.
0: Would your mom ever intervene in a moment she like that? She would
1: never, never intervene. I remember many times that we would argue or I would get in trouble and I would look to my mom and i be like, you know, this is wrong. And she could never say anything. Um, and he just had this dogmatic grip on the household. I had this purple bicycle. It used to be in my sister's, but she grew out of it. It was a little too big for me, but I rode the snot out of that thing. And every time things in the house would get heated, I would take this bike and ride away because it was an escape from all the chaos. Um, my older sister, she at 12 years old, she went completely deaf randomly, just completely lost her hearing over the course of like a month or two. When she first started going deaf, I didn't believe her. So I would sneak in the bedroom real quiet in the middle of the night and hover over her and scream as loud as I could to try to wake her up and freak her out. And she never would wake up. And every time I was like, she heard me. She heard me coming in. She knew. And my mother and my stepdad did not have the resources to care for her well. So my grandmother on my mother's side took her into Massachusetts and she left and went to a boarding school. I remember being really angry at her for that because her and I were super tight.
0: With his older sister gone and his stepdad's increasingly abusive behavior, Hayden felt more and more isolated. A family from a local church would sometimes come by to bring a meal, but they didn't really understand what was going on. But things really came to a head one day when Hayden was 11.
1: My stepdad was really grumpy one day and I had this huge bookshelf in my bedroom And I spent all day organizing in alphabetical order, all my books. And my little sister, she thought that it would be an awesome idea in her three or four-year-old mind to take every single book and throw it on the ground. And I was outside playing and I came inside and she's like pulling all my books down. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I grabbed her hand and I smacked it. And she, you know, like, just started bawling and crying and wailing and she went and ran to my stepdad and i was like oh no i'm about to die and so i just cower in my room and my stepdad comes in there like a raging bull and he had um epilepsy so he had to walk with a cane and he came in and he picked me up and he threw me on the ground and he put the cane over my neck and he was choking me and he said, If you ever touch my daughter again, I will kill you. Do you hear me? I will kill you. And I just remember in that moment, like I just completely froze, didn't know what to do, didn't know what to say. I remember being scared for my life after that. Couldn't look at him, couldn't speak to him. And a week after this happened, my grandmother would call. Neither my mom nor my stepdad messed with my grandmother. She said she wanted to talk to me no matter how grounded I was or what. They would be like, okay. And she said she wanted to talk to me. I just started crying to her. I'm like, I just don't want to be here. I want to I leave. I want to come see you. And she's like, well, your grandfather just came through town. I'm like, call him right now and tell him to come back. I want to see him. And so she does some convincing to my mother and tells them to let me come visit her to see my grandfather. And so we all go over there and my grandfather, who was already six hours in the opposite direction, turned around and came back. And when we got there, we're waiting for my grandfather and I pulled my grandmother aside and I was just crying uncontrollably. And she was like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I told her what happened with my stepdad and she, (laughs) And she was like, I'm calling the police. And she goes, no, wait, 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 we can be smart about this. And when my grandfather got there, and it was kind of late in the evening, um, they had a conversation. They were like, well, let us take Hayden for the summer. Y'all take a break. Let us take him for the summer. And, you know, we'll bring him back. We'll go from there. And they're like, no, we don't wanna do that. And I remember crying to my mom, like, please let me go. Please let me go, please, please, please. I was so terrified to go back home, like anything but going back home. She eventually said yes. Um, part of that was because my grandmother's was like, I'll pay a month of your bills and I'll pay your car note for you. Um, just let him go for the summer. And so she did. The one thing I didn't know is that that would be the last time that I would ever see my mom. And nothing really could have prepared me for that.
0: And just like that, Hayden hopped into the backseat of his grandpa's car with a small pile of his belongings, and they drove off, which would start a new chapter in Hayden's life, which you'll hear more about right after the break. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcast's top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. Have you ever wondered why traditional math curriculums seem like they have a one-size-fits-all approach? Well, that's because they do. The curriculum writers are making assumptions about how quickly your child is progressing, even if your child is actually struggling with a concept, which if left unchecked, can become a major hurdle to learning and hurt their confidence. That's one of the reasons why CTC Math exists. It's an adaptive online approach that automatically changes depending on your child's unique learning needs. By adapting to your student's pace, learning becomes not only more effective, but also more enjoyable. Can you imagine? No more tears about fractions. The interactive questions change in difficulty based on how your child is progressing, ensuring that they're challenged at the level that's right for them. Not too hard, not too easy. It's just like having a math tutor who knows exactly what they need, when they need it. And as a parent, you'll love the detailed reports. You'll get to see their progress in real time and celebrate their victories and understand their challenges. Ready to give your child's math education a major boost? Just visit ctcmath.com and sign up for a free trial and experience firsthand how personalized learning can transform your child's approach to math. Again, that's ctcmath.com. Welcome back to Compel. Hayden Jernigan had grown up in a tumultuous home, but after his stepfather threatened to kill him, Hayden had a spur-of-the-moment chance to go live with his Grandpa Joe, a pastor of a small church in Amarillo, Texas.
1: I left with my grandfather, went to Texas, and on the drive there, I remember my grandfather looking at me, and he said, you're never going back there um, because of what happened. I got so excited. I just felt so much relief, and I, I remember that moment vividly where it just... I probably would have cried had I been even more aware of what was going to change for me. This is the first time that I start to hear the gospels with my grandfather. I had to go to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday and had no idea what was being said. You know, there was a lot of charismatic speaking in tongues and dancing up and down the aisles and having people come and having interpreters and just, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I have no idea what is going on at all. Um, but my grandfather knew someone who was a principal at a accelerated program, which was a Christian school. And so they enrolled me in that and I started to get the education that I needed. And it was set up that you're not in a particular grade, you work through material based on where you're at. And so I started doing that, started getting caught up And that was the first time things started to feel somewhat normal. And that sense of like constant fear and constant insecurity started to go away. Fast forward, I'm 13 going through school and they had this huge revival. Like, I mean, like 300 people there and people were just giving their life to Jesus. And just going up on stage and confessing that Jesus was Lord over their life and confessing that they wanted Jesus in their hearts. And I thought it was so cool. Still didn't understand what was happening. Still didn't understand the weight of sin, the forgiveness of sin or anything like that. Really didn't understand the gospel. I just knew Jesus was this guy who died on a cross and rose from the dead. And that made no sense in my mind. And he asked, if, if anybody wants to experience this, Come up on stage. I'm like, well, I want to experience that. So I came up on stage, and it was the most intimidating thing ever. And I still remember how scared I was to stand in front of all these people on this stage. He's like, do you give your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And I praise the Lord, and the music plays, and everyone roars. And I'm like, wow, that was awesome. Absolutely nothing changed for me. I didn't have any ownership of faith at all. And I thought about God all the time, in terms of like, are you real? If you're really real, prove it. I prayed that prayer for years. I was like, God, if you're real, prove it. If you're this like miraculous being or person, like I wanna see it, nothing.
0: And so I might go on about my life. When Hayden turned 13, the unthinkable happened his actual biological dad, who he had never lived with, reached out and invited Hayden to move in with him. And of course, Hayden said yes. But after a year, his dad's housing situation fell apart and Hayden was forced to leave yet once again. His grandpa was too elderly to take him in a second time. So Hayden bounced around between his grandma's home in Memphis, trying to live again with his dad, and then eventually finally running away from home until the police picked him up. At which point, Hayden ended up back in Memphis a final time with his grandma once again. His mom and stepdad had moved out of the state without even bothering to tell Hayden. His grandma enrolled him in a local Christian private school, and Hayden was still praying constantly, asking God to prove that he was real. But it felt like the prayers went nowhere. He was in high school by now and struggling with thoughts of rejection, feeling as though no one in his family really wanted to keep him. So Hayden reacted by pursuing everything that the world had to offer, including girls, alcohol, and drugs.
1: I became so rebellious at this time. I started partying more. I started drinking. I was pretty large and strong for my age. You know, and everyone in school was like, oh, Hayden, you're so cool. And, you know, this kind of top-tier athlete in my mind. And really just, I was hurting And I was doing all this stuff to cover it up, uh, and it worked at the time. It wasn't long before I started to figure out how to get more promiscuous and, you know, working that through Facebook and social media, connecting with girls and doing that all the time. And I ended up meeting this one girl, and we hit it off, and she became like my entire world. You know, we dated, I think, for like two and a half years, and this incredibly toxic relationship built just purely on sensuality and when we fought, it was emotionally abusive. It was just horrible in every way. And she was a year ahead of me. She was in college two hours away. So I would like sneak out all the time at like 10 or 11 at night and drive two hours and stay there and then come back the next thing in the morning and just like, just so chaotic, you know, and then go to school and go to football practice and leave and do it again. But me and this girl are hooking up a lot and she ends up getting pregnant, 17 years old. She was 18. I found out and had no idea like my whole world was shattered. I was like, what? I didn't I didn't know that was possible. (laughs) Like what? I just could not conceptualize that. And she just fell on the floor when she told me, just weeping. And I went home and I'm trying to figure out like what I'm gonna do with my life. And she sends me a text and she says, I just want you to know that all options are on the table. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she was like, all options are on the table. And so I freaked out because she was talking about abortion. And I called my grandmother and I told her what happened. And I told her how scared I was and what my girlfriend just said. And so my grandmother goes to the school principal and asks for help. She's like, hey, this happened. I don't know what to do. Can y'all help me? Y'all are a Christian private school. What can we do? And the principal was like, I'm sorry, we can't help you. He has to withdraw or we're going to expel him. And so my grandmother was like, what? And so they kicked me out and I have to go to public school so that I can get my high school diploma. And I remember getting so angry, filled with rage and just rebelling more and more. And so I'm like, I start meeting all these cats at school and start partying more, start drinking more, start smoking more. And as all this is going on, you know, me and the girlfriend were arguing about wanting to keep this baby. And she just flat out told me after a couple of weeks, she's like, I'm getting an abortion. And I'm like, whatever. And I spiraled down in a deep depression and she followed through with it. From the time span of when I found out that my girlfriend was pregnant, that was in September. She had an abortion in November and my mother passed away December 28th. She took some pills that under alcohol and it slowed her heart and her heart just stopped in her sleep. Um, I remember finding out um, I was at a party and I woke up hungover at a party to a phone call um, that she had passed away. I just remember becoming so numb and angry. Um, Really, I was angry at myself, but just angry at the world. And after that happened, that was just a loose cannon. One night, I was partying with some guys, and this dude that we had never met, he starts hanging out with us. And he had shown us that he had a bunch of money and was like, i got way more money than y'all got, da-da-da-da-da. And my friend texted me, he was like, you want to rob this guy? I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so the night progresses and the guy asks us for a ride home and we're like, yeah, yeah, we'll take you home. Yeah, took the guy home. When he stepped out of the car, we grabbed him and we totally jumped him. Took his wallet, beat him up really bad. This kid was unrecognizable. And drive off and leave him in his front yard. The guy that I was with, his father was chief of police in that town. Something that you would think you might even, you know, consider, didn't consider it at all. So his dad starts calling uh, immediately because the names got thrown around and everything. Like, I need to know if y'all did this. If you did, I can help you. If you didn't, then fine. Like we, But if you, if you did do this, I need to know now, don't lie to me. And we're like, no, no, we didn't do it, no. And a week later, uh, the police call me and they're like, hey, You need to come in right now. We're going to put out a warrant for your arrest. And so I come in and they interrogated me for two hours. And they're like, look, if you don't tell us what happened and we compile evidence that this did happen, like you're going to be in way more trouble than if you fess up now. That when the cop tells me that, I felt so much remorse and so much sorrow. And I was like, I deserve whatever punishment they give me. And so I fessed up and it was a relief. It's like, yes, I did it. Here's what happened. I told the truth. And they interrogated the guy that I was with and he doubled down and lied. And so it looked really bad on us that he lied and I told the truth. And so they locked us up for
0: two weeks. After two weeks, Hayden was released on probation, but immediately went back to his life of drinking and drugs and was subsequently rearrested and sentenced to jail again for six months at the age of 19.
1: I'm in the penal farm. I mean, people always ask me, what are you doing here? Like, you don't belong here. What are you doing here? And I, for the first time was like, I deserve to be here. I am such a menace to society that they've taken away my privileges to exist in society. And I remember that just hit me like a truck. I was like, wow, I, I've lived in such a way that society has deemed me unfit to function in public. And I would just weep every night over that. And this was the very first time that I grabbed a Bible and opened it up and tried to read it. And I would look at it and I would read it and it made no sense to me, but I would still just something about having it made me feel some sense of comfort of like, there's something here. I don't know what it is. And I believe that was when the Lord really started pursuing me. I would go to the local chaplain service every Sunday. And just hearing the comfort that God promised and the promises of God soothed my anxiety and my fear. No profession of faith, no real understanding of salvation, no real understanding of sin yet. But I knew that just the gospel itself was like somehow soothing to me. I started crying out. I started praying, like, God, if you're real, if this is real, like, show yourself, right? That old prayer that I've been praying for a long time. If you're real, show yourself. If you're real, show yourself. If you're real, show yourself. Like prove it. I got to see it. I got to know that you're real. Nothing. And so I think I definitely, I even had an anger or resentment towards God of like, if you are real, then like, how dare you play games with me? Um, But yeah, no heart change. And I thought I had a heart change. I get out after three months. I'd like convinced myself that like, I'm going to be different. I'm going to, I'm going to live in moderation. This taught me a lesson, but what it really taught me was how to be more secretive and more deceitful. Moderation is dangerous because I ended up doing way more drugs and partying way harder than I did before. I just got a lot better at staying out of trouble. I get out, like I said, and I'm partying more. I'm drinking more. I'm selling drugs more. Uh, I'm pursuing women way more, just living an extremely promiscuous lifestyle, but I become so dissatisfied more than I ever have, just depressed and angry and anxious and confused and fearful of everything. I started to get into welding and steel construction, which was a very lucrative work in Memphis. There's a ton of construction going on at the time. And so was making pretty good money, which was not a good thing for me because I was just blowing it on drugs and alcohol. But what happened, from the time I got a vehicle, 17, 18, I was getting speeding tickets left and right. And I come home one day and I get a letter in the mail from the Department of Transportation of Tennessee, and they're like, hey, we've reviewed your driving record and it's absolutely horrible, so we're going to revoke your license for a year. And I was like, man, whatever, kept driving, driving through town one day, get pulled over, go straight to jail for driving on a suspended license. And that happened three other times. And so eventually I'm like, okay, I guess I can't drive anymore. And when that happened, I lost my job. I lost my house. And because I lost that, I lost a lot of my friend groups and my circles. I couldn't afford to pay for drugs or alcohol as much. A lot of the Women that I was pursuing didn't want to hang out with someone who didn't have money. And all of a sudden, I have absolutely nothing.
0: By this time, Hayden's grandma wouldn't let him live with her anymore. But after he promised to clean up his act and stop doing drugs, she said that he could stay in her rental house and she'd give him 100 bucks a week until he could get another job. But of course, Hayden had no intention of changing his lifestyle. But God had other plans. More on that after the break. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18 and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. you love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England, who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador, but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War, smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing. And their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Ten Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free US shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M. compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. Welcome back. Hayden's self-destructive lifestyle was on a roll and had no signs of stopping. After multiple stints in jail for assault, theft, drugs, and now driving violations, Hayden didn't really care about the consequences of anything. He was just living to please himself. Sure, he had prayed hundreds, if not thousands of times over the years, asking God to prove himself real, but God had always stayed silent. That is, until now.
1: I had a friend come back from Mexico and he was like, dude, I got this, this LSD from Mexico and it is top tier stuff, man. And all I had was $10 to my name. I'd already blown that hundred dollars from my grandma and whatever. And I was like, here, last $10, give it to me. And so we take these drugs, you know, we're tripping out and we're having fun and we're looking at stuff. and you know, just getting high and being crazy. And we go outside and it's like midsummer in Memphis. It's like 85 degrees and humid at midnight. And we're like, let's start a fire, because that's awesome. And so we literally just throw this log in a pit, douse it in lighter fluid and light it. And I take this bong and I hold it up in the air and I start dancing circles around this fire and like chanting. We're laughing, we think it's the funniest thing in the world. and We're cutting up and we're walking back inside. And my friend's like, oh, man, that's so funny. I can't believe you just worshipped a bong. And when he said that, it pierced my heart. And I was like, what would you just say? You know, he's laughing. He's like, I can't believe you just worshipped a bong, man. That's crazy that you just did that. I'm like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And he goes, you literally held a bong up in your hands, pointed it to the sky dance circles around a fire and chanted to it. And when he said that, I felt like he was looking right at me, like his words went right through me, and I was so convicted. And I got mad at him. I was like, "Don't say that. Don't don't say that kind of stuff, man. Like, I don't like that. I don't like the way that sounds." And he just kind of laughed it off. He was like, "Whatever, dude," and went in the other room. And I was sitting there and I was like, "Worshiped a ball. Like, that's disgusting." worship this this like piece of glass this life like what and I get so in my head and I, I go in my room and I lay down on my bed and I'm just thinking like worship this like like do I worship this lifestyle like what's the first thing that I think about when I wake up and the last thing I think about before I go to bed how can I get high how can I get money and how can I hook up with a girl? Those are the first things I think about before I start my day and before I go to sleep. I was like, I, I guess I do worship this lifestyle. I started praying out of anger. I was like, God, why would you let all this happen to me? Like, why would you let me get to this place where I'm worshiping this? I don't want this. You've you've brought me here. And I'm looking at all these things in my life, from my childhood, my stepdad, the way that he was treating me, all the dysfunction of going back and forth and back and forth, and my dad not being able to have his life together, my mother, not me not being able to see her again or speak to her again, all these different things, and me fighting with my grandmother, me getting in trouble, all this dysfunction. And I'm bringing it to God and I'm like, Why would you let all these things happen to me if you truly cared? If you're truly this all loving God, then why would you let this happen to me? I just started weeping and I kind of blacked out and I had a vision. And in this vision, it was pitch black and I was walking down the side of this mountain and I had these really heavy stones in each of my hands. I come around the mountainside and I look off and in the pitch black there's this huge fire and there's this massive group of people around the fire and they're naked and they're having sex and there's music playing and they're dancing around the fire and in the middle of the fire there's a golden calf. I look down and I'm holding stone tablets in my hands and I felt the rage of (laughs) Moses and threw the tablets down. And then I came back to. After I just danced circles around a fire, holding a bong in my hand, that was the vision of exactly what the Israelites were doing when they ran from God and turned away from him. I couldn't tell you when I had ever heard that story of that happening. I mean, I knew that Moses was given the Ten Commandments, but all the details that I couldn't I could not have depicted that for you on the, in that moment, apart from that experience. And I started to cry out to God and I was like, God, I have I've done nothing to worship you, to live for you. I've done nothing. If I died right now, I would go straight to hell. I didn't hear an audible voice in my head. I didn't hear this deep thundering voice, but in my spirit, I felt the Lord speak to me and say, you could never do enough, and that's why I sent my son to die for you. And I just broke, and I fell into a million pieces, and I wept, and I cried, and I was like, then why did you let all this stuff happen to me? Why? Like, Why did you let? My mom died. Why did you let me lose this child? Like, why did you let me make all these horrible decisions and hurt these people and live this way and get in this trouble and cause this grief to these people and be a liar and a cheat? Like, why I felt again the Lord speak to me and say, so that you would understand your need for me right here, right now. And you would understand that this is why I gave my son for you. I just started weeping and this verse came to my mind and my grandfather saying it to me came to my mind and he used to say it. I remembered that he said it to me all the time. He had this crooked finger that he had broke when he was a kid and he would point it at me and be like, straighten up <laughs> and fly right and know that he who confesses with his tongue that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that he is risen from the dead shall be saved. That came to my mind. And so I started to confess like, Jesus, you are my Lord, like save my life because only you could do that. Like in all of this chaos, only you could save me and redeem me from all of this, from being the liar and the thief and the bully and the menace to society that I was. Only you could save me and redeem me. And I had this peace that surpasses all understanding come over me. And for the very first time I felt peace. I felt my sin and my shame and my guilt and my anxiety just fall off like a million pounds just fell off of me. And I fell to my face and I wept for a long time and prayed. And I remembered I had an old KJV Bible buried in my closet somewhere and I poured through my closet and I found it, opened it up. It lands on Romans 10, 9. And it said, if you confess with your tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that he was risen from the dead, you will be saved. Was that verse that I remember my grandpa speaking to me. And I just started praying even more and just rejoicing and realizing the fact like God just saved me. And I woke up to my roommate shaking me. He's like, Hey, you need to call your grandmother. It's an emergency. Okay. Called my grandmother and she's crying on the phone. And I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? She said, your sister was found dead this morning. She was found dead this morning. Now this is my older sister. She had been struggling with a heroin addiction. Um, We had tried to have an intervention with her a month and a half before to go into rehab. She wouldn't do it. She had left her husband to pursue her addiction. She died within the hour of when I was saved. Um, Like, this this is real life. Like, the same time that I was doing drugs, my sister was doing drugs. She died. She overdosed and died. And God spared me that. And I wrestled with that for a long time. And a few days later, my grandmother called me in the middle of the night, which was not something she did. It was like three in the morning, weeping on the phone. And she said, God just gave me a dream. And she never would say anything like that. She said, God just gave me a dream. That there was this web that you and your sister were both caught in. And you got out of the web and she didn't because she couldn't. It already had a hold on her and it just further emphasized and highlighted what had been done in my life, but also allowed me to see the depravity and the brokenness of the world at the same time. And in that I saw that like God's desire is for all people to be saved. I went to my grandmother and told her everything that had happened to me and it reignited her faith and she wept. She ended up, I mean, fervently giving her life to the Lord to the point to where it was a comical thing that every time I would call her, she would have the TV turned all the way up, you know, with some pastor preaching. Uh, But she ended up giving her life to the Lord through kind of what happened with me. And there was sort of this weird revival that happened amongst me and my friends and my family. Like there were a few people in pockets that ended up giving their life to Christ in the midst of all this through what I was sharing. And I mean, to the point that there was even this girl that I'd had a relationship with that asked if we could like meet up. And I said, sure. And I met up with her. I was like, look, I'm not doing this anymore. And here's why. And I shared the gospel with her. She gave her life to Christ and like just all this crazy stuff started happening. And the more that I prayed, the more I saw the Lord move. and. That was the turning point. That was when everything changed. When I uh, when I got baptized, um, my old high school actually played it on repeat in, their, in the lobby for like a year uh, with me kind of telling my little two-minute testimony and getting baptized, because it was like, hey, if that guy can do it, <laughs> you can definitely do it. I remember them telling me that. Uh, I was like, that's great.
0: It's now been eight years since that night when Hayden gave his life to Christ, and the journey of recovery from his addictions wasn't instantaneous. It was a battle, but it was well worth it.
1: There were some things that I never, ever went back to. I never went back to certain mentalities about life. I wasn't a mean-spirited person anymore, but I still ended up struggling with substance use still and drinking, you know, being stuck in hookup culture. But the more that I prayed and like confessed those things to my church and to other believers and started to deal with those sins, I mean, it was like God just started giving me strength to overcome them. And I did. But it's still been really hard. It hasn't been easy, uh, especially in terms of like talking about it more, being more open about it and learning to implement a recovery or a restoration lifestyle as a Christian. Because there is that temptation to think... Well, God will just take care of it and just fix it. If I just pray about it enough and confess it enough, it'll eventually, like, no. My formative years were spent coping with the stresses of life through lust and through sexual relationships. And so, of course, that's a template that my body and my brain go to. Even things that God has redeemed and saved me from, I'm still being affected by it. The loss of my mother, for an example, like going back to that, like there is this adult part of me that's like can come to terms and accept this part of this grief, but there's also this little kid part of me that will always grieve not having that and will always grieve that loss. There are still pieces of me that will never fully have what I needed. And I think it would be a very poor misconception to think that just because we're saved by grace uh, means that we don't suffer it's a battle. It is a fight each day. Some things are really hard and some things that are really hard you have to do and some things that are really hard you have to do for the rest of your life. And recovery is a lifelong journey in that as well. Like Praise God that we don't have to carry those things on our own. Hayden, thanks for sharing your story, man. Thank you. Appreciate y'all having the opportunity to be on here and share my story. Amen.
0: Unlike other religions, which may require you to recite a certain phrase or do certain things or clean up your life first, the Bible is very clear about what is required for salvation from God's wrath. It's the same verse that Hayden read that night in Romans 10, 9, where the Apostle Paul simply writes, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's exactly what happened to Hayden. Hayden once lived in bondage to sin, both physically and spiritually. But today, through the power of Jesus Christ, Hayden is a free man. Last year, Hayden earned his Master's of Counseling in Clinical Mental Health from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and today, he's a professional counselor for patients dealing with PTSD and sexual addiction. If you'd like to see some photos of Hayden from his life before and after Christ, you could find those on our show notes page at compelledpodcast.com. And if you know someone who is struggling with substance abuse or know someone with a family member who is, then please send this story to them. Also, if you're interested in hearing an entire hour of extra stories from Hayden, like the time that he ran away from home before being picked up by the police, then consider joining Compelled as a monthly partner. Where you can listen to all of our full length, unedited, behind the scenes interviews with each of our guests. These are the original recordings from the interview and have tons of extra content and stories that we just don't have time to include in our regular show. And that's not just from Hayden's interview, that's actually from all of our interviews we've recorded. Plus, our monthly partners also get early access to each of our episodes. One week before our next episode officially releases, we'll send it out to our monthly partners first. And that's just our way of saying thank you for coming alongside us and enabling us to continue telling these stories of what God is doing around the world. Without you, we can't tell these stories. So thank you for playing a part. To become a monthly partner, just head over to compelledpodcast.com donate. Choose any amount that works for your budget and select the monthly option. Also, let me give a quick shout out for my friend Gabriel Affant from Keylight Marketing, who drove all the way from Austin, Texas to New Orleans to film five straight days of interviews with me for Compelled, including Hayden's testimony. Gabriel and his wife, Rachel, are the founders of Keylight Marketing, which specializes in helping mid-sized companies create an online presence they're proud of. They handle content creation, social media, and of course, video production. And I'm hoping that later this year, you'll actually see some of our very first compelled video content coming out. Again, that's thanks to Gabriel at Key Light Marketing. You can learn more about them at keylightmarketing.com. Today's episode was edited by Will Jackson, sound engineering by Zach Fowler, and our associate producer is my dear wife, Sarah Hastings, who by the way, had the flu and watched our four kids who also had the flu while I was gone for an entire week recording in New Orleans. She's a rock star. Truly, without her, this show wouldn't be possible. She's also launching a prayer team for the podcast. If you'd like to get updates from her every once in a while about specific ways you can pray for Compelled, then email her at sarah, that's with an H, sarah, at Podcast.com. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We'll be back with another compelling story two weeks from now. We'll see you then. One last thing before I go. If you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th, the other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st the Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th. And there's also the chance that I might be at some other events in Louisville, Kentucky and Nashville, Tennessee later in the year. But we haven't finalized those details yet. If you live near any of those locations, then I'd love to meet you. You can also see our latest up-to-date calendar of events at our website, compelledpodcast.com slash events. And I hope to see you there.